0: The Toronto Blue Jays, man, how is it up north? I love Toronto so much. Uh, The Rangers go there for four games in September. I am off that trip, which I am completely bummed about. Uh, you got to be pretty excited um, to be there, man. It's a fun city. I I like what they've done with the ballpark, at least what it looks like on TV. I know you haven't been in it yet, um, but you got to be thrilled, man, to be in Toronto.
1: I am thrilled. So uh, Blue Jays fans are not thrilled at this very moment because it just <laughs> lost a series to the New York Yankees that I, I know we're going to spend some time on, but I, I will tell you this in Toronto when I landed, I saw a lot of Blue Jays jerseys as I drove in from the airport uh, into downtown Toronto. And actually, I, I need to say it the correct, correct way. They don't pronounce the last T in Tor- Toronto. So when I was heading into Toronto, there was so many different advertisements for Blue Jays. And I'm watching this game on SportsNet and they do a really good job. I mean, Dan Schulman, Buck Martinez from the TV side. That's a that's a great that's yeah. I mean, like, I don't want to throw great around loosely. I have a handful <laughs> of broadcasts that I really enjoy. I like the Rangers broadcast a lot.
0: Dave uh, Raymond
1: and uh our Emmy Award winning <laughs> CJ McCaskey. I, I really like um I really like Krug and Kuiper. I mean, two yeah. former baseball players talking baseball is is amazing to me. Schulman and and Buck because I I don't get a chance to watch them all the time because of the East Coast time frame
0: mm. are
1: really good. I love Gary Cohn. I love uh, Ron Darling and and Keith Hernandez. I think that's that's an amazing booth. I think there's some really fun booths out there. But as I, as I was watching this Blue Jays broadcast and from the Blue Jays fans to the advertisements around the city, to how the game is portrayed. It would be, it's hard pressed to find CJ. I would say like, if you're, if you're saying like the best fan bases in baseball, when a team is good, you'd be hard pressed not to throw the Toronto, Toronto Blue Jays in a top five. When, when they're like, there's legit fandom here. There is legit fandom I saw I saw jerseys from like I saw Dave Stewart jersey I saw a, a, a Roberto Alomar jersey I saw a Devon White jersey I saw a Brett Lowry jersey I saw a Troy Tulowitzki jersey I saw wow uh, I mean like it it ran the spectrum of players and generations and fans and ages and it was on in every bar and restaurant as I was walking in I can't say that about every single city. I've been to a lot mm-hmm. of cities this year. I've been to a lot. Yeah. Houston's been rabid. Uh, Detroit was not rabid, but they're starting to get there. I, mm-hmm. I've been to places like San Francisco. We go to LA. San Diego's starting to turn into a rabid fan base for, for baseball. St. Louis is St. Louis. Milwaukee is, is really kind of concentrated in certain spots. Colorado is a basketball football you know right now it's it's hockey because they won a stanley cup a year ago i mean you'll find some rockies games but man toronto and this fan base and i get it with the yankees right yankees mets are (laughs) mets are just miserable fans to begin with but toronto toronto fan base man like that's a good fan base really good strong fan base
0: they draw well you go back to Uh, When we saw them in back-to-back ALCSs in 15 and 16, and for that 16 season, 3.3 million. The year after that, 3.2 million, and they were a fourth-place team uh, that year. Uh, Last year, 2.6 million. I think we'll see them probably push that number a little bit because this is a really good team. Now they're sitting here tied for third place with the New York Yankees. The Yankees have one more win and one more loss, Uh, but they love their team. What I didn't love was the tweet that I saw that went out today because I was mentioned in it. And today is, uh, by the way, Thursday, May 18th. You and I are, are taping this on a Thursday night. And today in Blue Jays history, tweeted out May 18th, 1999, a two-run home run from Carlos Delgado off CJ Nikowski in the bottom of the six proved to be the game winner in a 7-5 win over the Tigers. So I say, and that's yeah, exactly what I told I'll, him. I gave him a thumbs-down reply. with you. Hey, four home runs uh, against me in my career. I could not get that guy out. I say that. No, I'm going to correct that. I just couldn't get him to not hit home runs. I got him out all the other times. He has one single, had one single against me, and I still contend that that was an error. I believe he was four for 15 and four for 16. Should have been with four homers off of me. Uh, What what pitch did he, was it the
1: same pitch? Was it like your, your? what'd you throw, a little cut fastball? he was
0: tough. So he was, um, he, he took me out to left. He took me out to right. Uh, I don't remember the pitches. Uh, probably a cutter in there. I started experimenting with sidearm just because of him. Just when I was facing him to try to do something um, different, I just tried him out a couple of times, but it always felt like um, he was taking it deep. He was he was a thorn in my side. That's uh, for sure. He didn't love when you threw him in. Right? Try to play that intimidation factor, look out at you, all that kind of stuff. But certainly respect him as a great player. And you're right; it is a really good. Fan base, but the New York Yankees end up taking three from Oof. them up in Toronto. Thirty-three thousand at the game on Thursday, you know, weekday Yankees in town. Uh, it was it was action, right? A lot going on there. Aaron Judge had a monster season, a uh, super series. He ends up finishing six for nineteen, hits four home runs, almost hit five, hit one that uh, originally was called a home run went to review, came back, drove in seven uh, in this series, and it was kind of extra noteworthy because of what happened. Uh, with Aaron Judge and the sideways look. And you and I talked about this on the regular radio show, Loudouts 36 Eastern Time on MLB Network Radio. I think that added a little bit to this. There was also some back and forth and coaches saying bad things about each other and one's a psycho and one's fat and everything else was going on um, between the coaches. And listen, I get it. I don't mind seeing guys fired up. Um, So there was all of that. And then there was Domingo Herman, who ends up getting ejected by the same crew who warned him about his sticky hands. And he is sticky once again. After three innings, he's out of the game. He's going to, he got that 10 game suspension. Major League Baseball has already announced that. What I found fascinating about this was watching his teammates come over and feel his hands. And then his pitching coach come over and feel his hands. And it was just, everyone came over, felt it, and then just kind of walked away, right? There was no like outrage when they felt his hands. They went over like, it was almost like, oh, yeah, that's way too sticky. That's the impression I got from seeing the video. I can't believe, though, that after a warning, that he would be dumb enough to try to cut a corner. Now, could this be just overuse of the rosin, which we know is a legal substance that can basically be turned illegal if you're doing it wrong or if you're mixing it with something clear, say like uh, rubbing alcohol or sunscreen, whatever else, all the different things that guys will try. I'm just shocked at this stage in the game with the big crackdown with Major League Baseball that any pitcher would be dumb enough with their hands getting checked every single inning to go do something uh, that would be put themselves in, in a real bad position with sticky hands. But apparently he did. And he's getting a 10 game suspension.
1: Yeah, he deserves it. They even had a camera shot of what looked to be pine tar on his leg. Now, I don't know if that was pine tar. For all I know, it could have been something else.
0: His, so um, w- real quick on that, because I saw something today. Um, I saw Jose Trevino talking about it. And you're always going to stick up for your teammates. He said, dude, he just took it. He didn't say it, but he just he didn't want for whatever reason. He didn't want to use door. But he just took a dip out of his mouth and wiped his pants.
1: Okay. All right. So I'll buy, I'll buy that. Uh, I mean, I'll buy that. I've, I've dipped before. I don't dip anymore. Uh, But yeah, I mean, you could get a a dark looking substance on your pants for that. Okay. Here's what stood out a couple things and we'll stick with Domingo. And I want to go back to Aaron judge because there's some, uh, there's some statistical things that go along with Toronto and, and Aaron judge (laughs) here's, here's Domingo's statement. It's funny. I was informed by MLB that I'm being suspended 10 games because of my ejection on Tuesday. I discussed the appeal process with the MLB PA and my team. I learned that the appeal decision is made by MLB, not through a neutral arbitration process. So I do not believe I have a chance to win an appeal. The Yankees asked that I accept my 10 game suspension so that I can begin serving it immediately and return to the mound as soon as possible. Therefore, I am opting to accept my suspension. That is a tired copped out excuse. Mm. I've already heard this. The, the same thing happened. We we had Scott Boris on uh, yeah. when Max Scherzer got suspended and he brought the same kind of note to attention. Like mm-hmm. with Max Scherzer, he's got the sticky sticky and like how much is, is too much sticky, you know, and again, like for you and I, we've we've said this. Like, if there is sort of any opposition towards an umpire, it's that the it's an umpire's opinion on what is sticky. Now we know that they went to school for it, and we know that they've been trained on it, but it's still an opinion. Much like the mm-hmm. strike zone, the strike zone's an opinion. Much like a speed limit, getting a, a speeding ticket, it's an opinion. I've driven three miles an hour over the speed limit. I'm sure you've driven 11 miles an hour over the speed limit. You might have even flown past a cop going seven miles an hour over the speed limit. It's yeah. it's an opinion of the officer of whether he's going to give you a ticket or not based on, on that person. And so it's not standard. It's not a standard test. It's not a standard opinion. You may yeah. say it's a standard, but it's not. There is no <laughs> there's no like paperwork where they can test this and then test his hand. And every single person in Major League Baseball that's an umpire can say this is that mm-hmm. there isn't there isn't such a thing. And then beyond it is the process of it. Which do you want to say it's flawed? I believe it's flawed. I think there is an a, there there's a legitimate argument. Okay, the arbitration process is going through the Major League Baseball offices. Okay, that feels flawed. Should mm-hmm. there be a Major League Baseball Players Association, Major League Baseball, and a third party arbitrator? Yeah, probably that would make the most amount of sense, but that's not the case. Mm -hmm. Regardless, Domingo cheated. He had his hand too sticky. That's not up for debate. And like to to kind of call attention to the process, I think is a cop-out. You didn't do it right. We know it. It's proof. I'd like to see certain things adjust. I'd like to see a better process. I'd also like to understand if there's like a general standard for sticky what it is and that it's all across the board for every single umpire so that it's not just the opinion of a certain umpire and crew uh, the mm-hmm. fact that phil Cuzzi's had three of them is kind of an alarm for me
0: mm-hmm. but
1: regardless domingo didn't do it right and it adds to this what i think is a legitimate rivalry i think it's a legitimate <laughs> hatred for each other cj i watch this game start to finish i watch this series start to finish After the game was over between the Yankees and Toronto tonight, the Blue Jays players were sitting on the top step watching the Yankees celebrate the series. Mm -hmm. That's not a normal loss. Mm -hmm. This isn't a normal Yankees-Blue Jays matching up. I think Toronto genuinely does not like the Yankees, and vice versa. I think the Mm -hmm. Yankees genuinely do not like Toronto. I'll go so far as saying this too. I I was seeing Nestor Cortez <laughs> was in between innings talking. And I believe was it Jose Trevino was behind the plate today. They were no no Trevino
0: were, went on the IL.
1: Okay, who was behind the plate today? It must I, I have can, been
0: uh, I don't because I know they've called up Rort Fed. I'll go back and look. I don't know if it was it was it was, um, it was probably Higashioka. It,
1: okay, it was it was, Higashioka. It was Yeah, yeah. They are talking to each other with their hands covering their mouths in the dugout.
0: Hmm. Yeah. So what do you make of that?
1: Toronto, the the Yankees believe Toronto is trying to steal every single thing that they can possibly do.
0: Yeah. In the dugout.
1: I'm That's saying a, these, these guys are finger pointing at each other for all kinds of unwritten yeah. rules that are getting broken left. That's and right. wild, man.
0: You never see that, right? You never see it You'd in never the dugout, um, and that kind of concern. That that's kind of a wild one, um, and interesting for sure. I will say this on the statement: it's it's now a blanket statement from these pitchers, right? As far as especially pointing at the process, the appeals process, they're obviously not happy. And I think every time this happens, if it does happen again, we will see the same thing, where you're gonna you're gonna hear from a pitcher or see a statement from a pitcher who says. I am not appealing the process because I thought there's not a neutral arbitrator. So how they got there to this point, whether they agreed upon it, whether they missed it in the CBA and overlooked it, I don't know, but they are not happy that it's basically going to go through MLB offices and have someone like John McHale, who was there uh, be the guy who makes that decision because they feel like they have no chance, understandably so, but they are are not happy uh, with that. And that will continue to be the case now for the Yankees rotation, while he is out, They've been pretty average here lately. I'm looking at the last two weeks right now, 4.77 ERA for the New York Yankees rotation. They only have four decisions, uh, two and two over the last 14 games and leaving it in the hands of the bullpen right now uh, are the New York Yankees. And they got some issues there uh, as well. A couple of guys that are throwing okay, uh, but they're not nearly as deep as they would like to be right now. So this hurts Uh, Domingo Herman having him out of the rotation. They are getting Luis Severino back here pretty soon. So they'll get a little bit better as they go and continue to try to get healthy, Um, but not a lot of great news. Besides the fact that they won these games, that is the good news. Three out of four up in toronto they still got to get that roster right and so far for the new york yankees and the toronto blue jays uh, after this series they end up tied uh, for third place, six and a half games back of the Tampa Bay Rays, which is where I want to go next, because the Rays all of a sudden, let's say struggling, they're still playing baseball at a 7-11 winning percentage, uh, probably not going to hold, I don't think they're going to win 120 uh, games this year, I guess you never know, but probably unlikely, uh, but they have a three game series against the New York Mets, and the New York Mets have been scuffling, the Mets end up taking to a three. There has been a lot of conversation about getting the young players into the lineup, despite yeah. the fact that this is a ridiculously expensive payroll, the biggest one that we've ever seen, knocking on the door $400 million, and there's been calls for Vientos, who did get called up, Alvarez getting the opportunity. Beatty is there now consistently, which is pretty interesting. And thinking about those young three names, uh, the the first two I mentioned in Vientos and Alvarez were hugely important to what was a wild game. Uh, But a really (laughs) big win for them on Wednesday. And it was a home run to tie it. They gave it up again. Home run to tie it again. They gave it up again. They go into the 10th inning and a home run to walk it off. And so while it was really exciting to see that happen in the 8th, 9th, and 10th inning, it was also indicative of some issues that this team is dealing with. They could not stop the bleeding until they were finally in that position to be able to walk it off. They ended up taking the last game, which was earlier today uh, in the series. So they take two or three from Tampa. This shocked me, Billy. Today is May 18th. The last time the Mets won back-to-back games, April 20th and 21st. It had been quite a while since they even won back-to-back games, and they actually won three straight. That was against the San Francisco Giants. I don't know where you're at. I don't get all excited. We kind of joked about it today on Power Alley when I was with Mike Farron. You know, the statement win, the game we're going to talk about in September and look back. It was a nice win, but it also still showed you some flaws that they have in, in uh, Queens right now.
1: Yeah, they they are very flawed. And you brought something up that I think is important, Buck Showalter. Um, I didn't think he's on the hot seat. It feels like he's on the hot seat. I think a lot of it is media contrived. Uh, mm. But in, the, in this case, specifically to some of the young players, and I've seen managers that they don't have confidence in young players with a good team, especially when they know... <laughs> their career is at stake. That's a fair assessment. I've seen it too many times. There's plenty of managers that would prefer to go down with a veteran than with the younger player, mm-hmm. because you know what you're going to get. Vientos was destroying baseballs in the minor leagues. Um, I think in the case of Brett Beatty, we, we see an inside-out swing that I really like. I think it plays. Yeah. Uh, it plays better right now than Eduardo Escobar's swing uh, mm-hmm. in the case of, of, of their young catcher and, and Alvarez. Like, I don't love the bats, but I love the output. Like, I think he's, he's, it's almost too crazy. <laughs> right. So mm-hmm. I can understand from, from Showalter's perspective, a catcher, like you don't want to throw a catcher behind the home plate uh, because of the uh, yeah, there's, there's just so much on a catcher to call a game you have veteran pitchers like a Scherzer Furlaner got booed off the mound his last start. But mm-hmm. I could understand Showalter not going to to uh, a young catcher. That makes sense to me. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I saw, We just saw it with Wilson Contreras with the Cardinals. I mean, it's even veteran catchers that have been around and even have a long-term contract can get snubbed by pitching staffs that aren't pitching well. Mm-hmm. However, when I think about young players that are, swinging the bat really really well in the minor leagues and then get up to the big leagues and then they get sat and they don't play even though there might be a platoon matchup that a manager wants to exploit I don't love that I don't love it I don't think it's a i don't think it's a good managerial strategy with young players you kind of have to and that's why managers don't traditionally do it is it's hard for even a veteran player to come off the bench and do these, these roles. If it's a right-handed starter, do you want, uh, you know, a bunch of lefties to start off knowing, especially in Tampa's case, Tampa's going to run their bullpen out at you. So whatever move you make, they have a move for you. That's what makes Tampa so difficult. That's why they are uh, what they are. They're winning. It's at, at a 700 clip. There's a, there's an advantage. There's a statistical advantage the Tampa has over virtually every single team. So Mm -hmm. you have to be willing if you're a manager to go, you know what? I'm going to give this young player four at bats and every single one of these at bats, Tampa is going to have an advantage. Mm -hmm. It's true. Yeah. Right. Like that's, that's a legit and Buck is correct in thinking that he is correct. My argument against it is those young players, because they haven't faced certain pitchers and you've heard me say this, they're too dumb to know the difference. And I'm not saying that (laughs) Brett Baineyer or or Vientos is dumb. They're just at the point where they're, they're not refined. You can get away with stuff. Mm -hmm. You can get away with it. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, giving consistent at-bats to Daniel Vogelbach, giving consistent at-bats to Tommy Pham, where you can mix and match and and possibly use some of these younger players to kind of spur you on, I think it's okay. I think yeah. it's okay, and I th- I I do believe some of the fan sentiment against an old school mentality, and going through what I just went through from a manager standpoint, like, hey, <laughs> we're we have to win, and yeah. you guys want these young players to win. We no, it's win mm. now. That's a really tough place to put a manager in.
0: Yes, because of course the fans—I don't mean this to be insulting—but in a moment when they see the veteran struggle, they don't care. They see the AAA numbers bring up the young guys. You know, they're—they're not—they're not on the hot seat. They don't care. They don't have to make these informed decisions. And what's interesting to me about that point is we sit here and we talk about how young they are. Beatty had 11 games coming into the season in the big leagues. Vientos had 16 games in the big leagues coming into the season. Alvarez had five games in the big leagues coming into the season. I mean, combined, they hadn't even played a month in the big leagues and a month worth of games. And if you try to give them consistent at-bats, be ready for some of the inconsistency. Of course, they're young. It's going to be there. Then what do you do? And it could create a bigger problem. It'll look like a solution on Tuesday, or should say on Wednesday. Now, Vientos didn't start. Now, he's a right-handed hitter. He's a left-handed hitter. I mean, the idea of platooning a couple of young guys over at third base does not excite me. I don't think it's the best thing for the long-term solution because it's it's difficult, especially when you were the guy that's the right-handed hitter in Vientos. He did not play on Thursday. How often are you going to really get consistent at-bats and having them potentially share uh, third base? So that that becomes problematic, trying to balance that whole situation um, and figuring it out. I'm not saying I'm down on platoon, but the first time in the big leagues with young players that have a lot of high upside, you're right. I mean, that puts you uh, in, a, in a pretty rough spot. I wanted to ask you something about... I uh, talked to Brad Lidge about this on our show the other day. I don't know if you saw the comments from Jason Kipnis. Jason Kipnis spent five years with Francisco Lindor uh, in a Cleveland then Indians uh, uniform. And he was on foul territory and talking to A.J. Pruszynski. And he just said that he looked at the Mets team as a team with kind of a bunch of stars, and I'm paraphrasing here, but no true leaders. And A.J. said, well, what about Francisco Lindor? And he says, I stand by my statement. They have no leadership on that team. I was like, wow, this guy spent. Been... It wasn't, and I, my first thought, I kind of messed this up. I was like, well, he only played with him for a couple of years. So I saw him when he was really young. No, they were together for five years up the middle in Cleveland. It's a significant amount of time to have that kind of opinion. Uh, that one surprised me a little bit that he was willing to go there. It's a pretty strong statement. And especially against the star player in Francisco Lindor, who's doing, you know, not playing at a star level right now. And I don't believe that you have to be a star all the time just because you're a great player and have the monster contract and have to be a leader. We like guys to do that, but it's not an automatic that you have to be a leader. It might not be in your uh, DNA, and I'm okay with that. But to throw that out there, I think just kind of adds a little fuel to the fire here as we start to finger point, even though they've now won two straight for the first time since April 20th, at a pretty big name in that Mets uniform. I was surprised to see that from Jason Kipnis. Wanted to get your thoughts on it.
1: Uh, so I play with Kipnis too. I, he was my teammate in 2013 uh, when I spent some time in the Cleveland organization. Uh, I I would, I would believe Kipnis has a pretty good feel for Francisco Lindor far more than I did. I mean, the, the only really interaction I had with Francisco was, was seeing him in minor league camp. And I remember the stories of, of hearing like, Billy, this kid from Puerto Rico this young kid is, is unbelievable like his name's yeah. Francisco Ladori he's, he's great he's always has a smile he loves to play baseball i i would not be shocked if he doesn't have the leadership skills of and this has nothing to do with race or where you were born or any of those things position nothing yeah. salary i've had i've had leaders that were from foreign countries that were bench players yeah, sure. <laughs> I've had, yeah. I've had old ones. I've had guys that have had one day of service time that are leaders. It's just a personality trait. It's just a personality trait. If you're the first overall pick, does not make you a leader? If you're the highest paid player on your team, does it make you a leader? It's a personality trait. And you know what that personality trait is? It's about paying attention to other players and holding yeah. them accountable. That's what a leader does. And so some guys that I've been around, I'll, I'll give you an example. Noel, Nolan Arnato. Nolan Arnauto, in his time with Colorado, was a quiet leader. His leadership was, I, I just lead by example. Trevor Story, same thing. I, I, I lead by example. Troy Tulowitzki, who is the best leader I ever played with, was a vocal lead by example guy. He would call you out. Be like, Spilly, your routes suck. What is going on? Get better. You're better than that. You're like, damn, I didn't realize my routes were that bad. That's a vocal <laughs> leader. Leader, And like, there's also... Play with Jason Giambi. Jason Giambi wasn't even taking five at-bats a week and would hold team meetings and yell at guys for not taking better at-bats or not taking better care of themselves off the field, which was kind of ironic. So I, I just, I could understand what Kipnis is saying. I think it's it's probably a fair statement. I do believe with the Mets, if there is a leader there, the one that is the most vocal, that seems like he could carry the most weight, it, it sounds like it's Pete Alonzo now in the case of Pete Alonzo. And I, and I don't know, like so much of this is speculating, right? Mm-hmm. He doesn't have his long-term deal. So is he sitting on the fence because he doesn't have a long-term deal. He doesn't feel like he's been anointed the power of being able to talk above Justin Verlander or Max Scherzer. Cause he oh. doesn't have the amount of service time. To, to, is he quiet because of Lindor's the guy getting paid all the money. Mm. I don't know. I don't know those dynamics. But Pete yeah. Alonzo said after the game two days ago, and he's sick, you know, this is a building block. I think that is a better way of describing a win. That's an important win as a building block, not as some seminal moment that was a jumping point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you build from there. You build some confidence. Today, the Mets won, and they won a really nice, tight game against Tampa. They're building upon that one. That's how you build a winning streak, not from one silly moment, which was an improbable victory. It was a great win, uh, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't turn things around. That doesn't turn. I mean, the Houston Astros had a huge win two days ago. Mm -hmm. Is that that's like the moment that's going to get the Houston Astros going? (laughs) Come on, man. Jose, Jose, Jose Brave still hasn't hit a homer. So, like, come on.
0: Yeah, my thing with that win, with the home runs that we saw, and it was really exciting. It was a lot of fun. There was great energy from the young players, and then Pete Alonso as he walked it off. Is that going to make their starting rotation better? Right. I mean, because that's what this is about. Is that going to get their starting rotation healthy? Is that going to get their their old aces that are making forty three million dollars a piece? And I mean, old just in the sense of yeah, age, but also the mileage. Is that going to help them discover the fountain of youth? That's what you keep an eye on here. I think uh, with the New York Mets. By the way, uh, real quick on um, David Robertson. I mean, are you kidding me with this guy, dude? One for 10, 17 games, he's got a 0.95 ERA. Thinking about where this team would be without him. He picked up his eighth save today uh, with a shutout inning, had a strikeout in there as well. Uh, it has been pretty uh, wild to watch. The flip side, uh, for the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, concerns maybe potentially about their bullpen. The last two weeks, Billy, 6.33 ERA Coming out of the Tampa bullpen, second worst in baseball. I'm not going to tell you who the first worst is because that's not been a great run here lately um, in Arlington. Um, but the last two weeks in ERA over six. And, you know, we always talk about them trying to find the guys and how it's magical all the time. They picked up Jake Diekman off of waivers, Zach Littell off waivers. Zach Littell was in the Marlins with the Rangers. Yeah, right. Well, he's in the, he was in the Marlins with the Rangers this year. Uh, Went to the Red Sox. The Red Sox DFA'd him. And we joke about these things, right? So Tampa got him. He's going to, you know, this guy's going to be the reliever of the year now because they're going to find some magic formula with him. Um, And I just wonder, and it hasn't happened yet. And, you know, what is it? Are they going to be able to get something else out of Jake Diekman? Jason Adam, who was great, and and we love him, um, and we've had him on the show, has had kind of three rough ones in a row. And if you remember, he thought he let up a walk-off home run, remember to Aaron Judge in Toronto or in New York and, and got the out. He has let up a home run that he had let, let up a home run the previous outing and then one since. And so all of a sudden he's gone through this little bit of a stretch and he's been great all year. And so was the jumped to, you know, three. That's how good he has been here lately. But also he's having a couple of bad games, which I guess is going to happen. But they're in a weird place right now with Tampa where all of a sudden this bullpen uh, is scuffling in a pretty big way. The numbers are not great. Uh, the offense for the most part has been off the charts, although I think we'll still see Brandon Lau pick things up here a little bit. But I, I, it's got to normalize at some point but I don't like seeing a crooked number for my bullpen area over a two-week period. That has me a little bit concerned about the Tampa Bay Rays and what we're really looking at and what kind of team this is, not just the rest of the way, but even potentially as a postseason team.
1: True Rasmussen, Shane yeah. McClanahan, Jeffrey Springs not getting starts. They're waiting for Tyler Glass now. He's getting closer, but that has a ripple effect. Uh, right yeah. now, Tampa Bay Rays, the starting pitchers for for them, they have two innings logged in. Now you, you might say, okay, that's 44 starts, 200 innings. Is that a lot, Spilly, or what is that? That's the least amount of innings pitched by a starting rotation in Major League Baseball. Mm-hmm. That means the bullpen is being asked to pick up the rest, and it catches up to you. We know it. It happens all the time. That's why it was so important to have Springs and Rasmussen and McClanahan eating up six, seven innings on their starts, and then you can do, uh, you still use your bullpen stuff, but you're saving now at least an inning every single time those three guys go out. Now you're going four, maybe five, probably a turn through the lineup. Then you start getting into the bullpen, middle relief. Then you get your plus side guys or whatever, however you use it. And now you start to take on water. I mean, that's, that's, that's the formula that has hurt them in the past. They have to get their starters to get six innings, five, six innings. And they're not asking for, you know, you're not looking at, a complete game shutout every single time that's not that's not what they do um but Minnesota's number one in innings pitch. Toronto's number two, Texas is number three. Mm-hmm. How that does how that saves your bullpen and you've seen this probably because it's you know you just mentioned, you don't want to say the team that's not pitching well in the last couple of weeks, but Jacob DeGrom not being there does have some sort of ripple effect yeah. on on the rest of the team. It just does. When you lose a starter that is dependable and you mm-hmm. lose six innings, and you're maybe not even five or six innings. You have you know in those games, <laughs> you know in a game where if DeGrom was starting or McClanahan or Springs and even Drew Ra- those games you were, when they left the game, they usually traditionally had a lead. Yeah. So you weren't like either catching up or even. And if you're even, that's even worse mm-hmm. because you don't know which side to use.
0: Yeah, you're right. And that's part of it, right? It's your upside bullpen, your downside bullpen, you know, whether you're up or whether you're down and and which guys you actually um, use. You mentioned Shane McClan. He's scheduled to start on Friday. Um, He hasn't missed time, has he? That I'm unaware of.
1: I mean, he hasn't been as sharp as as he was earlier on.
0: Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. And at least healthy, I guess that's probably the big one and having Tyler glass, you're right. He's coming off a bad one um, where he uh, only lasted four innings, gave up four runs, had four walks in there. He does have eight walks over his past two starts. And so the command hasn't been there Uh, for him. He was able to pitch around those four walks last time against the Orioles uh, and went six shutout, but the last one hasn't been great. And so he gets the um, Milwaukee Brewers. And so, yeah, we keep an eye on them Uh, best team in baseball. However, they got a couple of things going, uh, not particularly well uh, here lately, and I do have some concerns about the bullpen, but you make a great point. Of course, that is reflective of what's going on in your starting rotation. Let's get to the St. Louis Cardinals. They've been such a big negative story uh, throughout most of this year. Uh, it's going getting turned around now, whether or not it's going to be too late. We'll see that division. I think certainly uh, gives you a reason to be optimistic. Eight and two. In their last 10, as we are taping this podcast, they're about to wrap up this game that they're winning 16 to eight right now, going to the top <laughs> of the ninth inning. They have hit seven home runs today. They hit four home runs off of Julio Urias uh, in the fourth inning or the third inning, whatever it was, third inning. I mean, they just absolutely tattooed him. Um, it was kind of amazing to see this offense has come alive. Uh, eight and 10, as I mentioned, it should be eight and two over their last 10. Prior to that, they were one and 11 over the last 12, including that eight game losing streak. Uh, So it's all of a sudden now turning into a really streaky team. Nolan Arenado is swinging a really good bat, right? He went four straight where he hit a home run. Then he picked up his 1000th RBI in this crazy game. that's uh, about to wrap up here right now. Uh, He had hit a home run, uh, did it off of Bickford. He hit his ninth of the year. Um, This is kind of what we've been waiting on. The whole Contreras stuff maybe seems to be behind them to some degree. You know, he caught a a good game the other day. I, I mean, obviously there's, things that they needed to see change and they wanted to see change. And who knows if it happens that quickly, but he's back behind the plate. He was back behind the plate for this game. And even though they gave up eight runs through eight, um, they're winning. So I guess you take that for what it's worth. I watched Adam Wainwright. He didn't look as sharp as he looked okay. He pitched good enough um, to pick up a win tonight, which I'm sure he will, five and two thirds. And he gave up five runs, but only only two are earned. He did only have one strikeout and walked three. And Father Time may be starting to catch up with him uh, just a little bit, but Contreras had a couple of hits uh, in this one as well. But, man, here come the Cardinals. And I start to wonder just a little bit the things that we keep an eye on with them. I don't know, man. I know you've talked so much about this defense on this team. So as the offense gets better, all of a sudden now they're also showing up in the highlights a little more defensively. I, I, I don't. Could you? You think that this team, because that is such a big part of what their issues have been defensively, um, is that something they can get turned around pretty quickly? Yes. I mean, I know what, you think so. Okay, because I know. Yeah. What, like it's it's one thing with hitting and pitching. A tweak here, a tweak there, and maybe get a guy going. I've always wondered about how quickly you can take a team that has so been, been so bad defensively, and then all of a sudden, the right back and, and getting it done. because they've been pretty good lately on defense. Okay,
1: so uh, you've heard me. I I love defense, and and to your point about so here's here's some notes for you if you're around the water cooler tomorrow or today or whatever day you're listening to this podcast. Uh, Cardinals OPS plus, which is a probably the easiest way to understand good quality offensive approaches. The best team in baseball is Tampa, Atlanta, Texas, Diamondbacks, Red Sox. That's top five. Cardinals are six. So as bad as their record has been and as bad as some of their, their offensive numbers have been, um, they're still well above league average. So they're, they're top six in OPS plus. Um, yeah. A lot of that, those numbers have always kind of been there for them, but they weren't getting results. So Nolan wasn't hitting homers, uh, you know, the, the rest of the lineup, the young wasn't getting homers, right? Guys weren't getting results. When it comes to defense, defense is something you can control. And my argument with defense has always been it's easy to play quality defense when you're hitting the ball well. You almost always see it. A guy starts Mm -hmm. swinging the bat well, they start making some plays on defense. They just feel more engaged. It's rare that you see somebody that's scuffling at the plate And they're playing off the charts defense. It's almost never, almost never happens. Mm. There are some exceptions to the case, exceptions to the rule, but almost always because defense is such a, you can control it. It's a mental state. You have to be willing to be in on the pitches. You can be totally engaged. Defense is controllable when you're not swinging the bat. Well, and the team's not winning defense almost always falls off the face of the map. It does. it's always mm-hmm. it's it's re, it's connected to win loss records and offensive approaches. That's it's they're position players. they if they're over for the last 12, they're probably gonna make an error. Mm-hmm. here's here's what's standing out now defensively about um, the St. Louis Cardinals. They are still at the bottom of defensive efficiency. So it's it's showing you that okay, they are improving defensively. They are starting to hit the baseball better. They are seeing some wins as a result. But underlying problem is that they're not as rangy as they they have been. They're not rangy. Yeah. So, And then if you want to go a step further, and I've, I've done that part where I was looking at the top five teams as far as ground ball defense, uh, Cardinals are a top five ground ball team. So we know that. Mm-hmm. If they get grounders, they they field it because you have gold all over the place, but they're not rangy, which brings up the biggest problem. It's the Cardinals' pitching staff, CJ. Mm. They do not strike people out. They yeah. pitch to contact. Wainwright's gonna. How many did he strike out tonight? Did he strike out one, one. or two? One. Okay. Yeah. So so how many innings he go? Five, six.
0: Five and two thirds. Yeah.
1: Okay. So <laughs> out of out of your uh, 16, 17 outs. All, all 16, 16 of those had to be made as far as a defensive unit behind you.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. And so you put a little pressure on the defense. Seven ground outs, eight fly outs for him. So maybe he had a double play in there. because so that's 15. One strikeout is 16. He got 17 outs total. By the way, that game has gone final. 16 to 8 uh, was the final of this one. Contreras actually had two home runs. Nolan Gorman had two home runs uh, in this game. I mentioned that Nolan Ornato also hit uh, a home run. Young uh, hit a home run. Yepes hit a home run. Uh, they absolutely uh, crushed today. Uh, Julio Rias did not look particularly sharp. The bullpen followed behind. Uh, they had
1: behind. Tommy was... in right field.
0: They're trying everything, huh? It's kind of amazing. Whatever it takes, I guess. And, and But he only lasted one at bat, one plate appearance, because then they went straight to... Now, he came out because there was a collision in the outfield. Um, and he stayed I, in for a I, second, I wonder why. Yeah, I yeah. wonder
1: why. I mean, like, like th- this is... here's Here's what's happening. Is Nolan Gorman needs to t- get steady at bats, but they can't figure yeah. out a position for him to play. And mm-hmm. when Contreras was DHing, that forced Gorman to play second base versus Tommy Edmond. And Gorman at second is not a second baseman option for for that type of of pitching staff. He's not. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, and Tommy Edmond has he's swinging the bat well, but it's it's hard to. <laughs> It's hard to leave a guy with over a thousand OPS. If you're Nolan Gorman on the bench versus Tommy Edmund. Yeah. So that that's part of the problem that they have is they have essentially two DHS and one is a premium position in Wilson Contreras behind home plate. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what's, I mean, there's a reason why he got benched CJ. I mean, yeah, there's some, there's some internal problems there defensively. Um, mm-hmm. But they get made up if you if you score 16 runs, it doesn't matter. And the pitching yeah, staff that? can give up, and the pitching staff can give up eight. And, it doesn't and they hurt, had scored
0: that's... what 18? Uh, a couple of games before that against the Milwaukee Brewers, I was starting to see the big output. By the way, one of the Gorman home runs was against Urias. He had not been playing against lefties very much at all. I hadn't got a hit against the lefty this year, but some good swings here lately, and you wonder if they're going to try to force that situation because of the big numbers. Uh, that you talked about, right? If you don't want to be a platoon player, make sure you're dominating at least the other ones. Uh, And and in his case, dominating righties, and they'll give you more of a look against the lefties. And so that's going on here. Uh, In St. Louis, the bullpen has been really good. I know obviously today was maybe not uh, the best game because it was total of eight runs that were uh, let up. Um, But how about this? Uh, Fourth best bullpen in baseball over the last couple of weeks. Uh, They needed, because that wasn't very good for them at the beginning of the year with the two and a half ERA. And now, this is before this game, uh, where they scored 16 runs the last two weeks they've been scoring the most runs per game in baseball now again that 18 inning game run game is gonna you know skew that just a little bit like if you sit there and actually you know parse it out look at you know game by game uh, it changes on you a little bit right they went 18 then they scored two scored three and then scored 16 tonight. Um, and so, which is it's fine, it's normal, but those numbers are going to continue to jump when you start looking at their runs uh, per game, and so they're in pretty good shape right now. Things going well, much better in St. Louis, and because again of the division that they are in, uh, you can have some some hope that maybe they do get this thing turned around. We talked about the White Sox and not feeling nearly the same level of confidence, and have done that a bunch here. The St. Louis Cardinals are still a last place team. They are 19 and 26, but they're only six games back of the Milwaukee Brewers. Right. We sit there and look at what's going on, say, as an example, in the American League East, where you're seven and a half games back when you're 24 and 20. Like that division is so ridiculously deep that if you saw the Cardinals and anything close to what the American League East is, I still wouldn't have hope regardless of what's going on here uh, right now. But it has been uh, significantly better, still in last place, but playing some better baseball. I mentioned eight and two over their last ten, Billy. And so we won't give up on them uh just oh, yeah I, uh, I gave up on him unless you think
1: uh unless you think the central is gonna be one by 83 games
0: which the cardinals have done in one
1: world series um uh, yeah. before if you Oof, think 83 yeah. if, if you think 83 is the number then yeah i won't i won't cross them off but yeah. if you think 89's the record that means they have to win i believe it's uh 69 more games of the 120 what is it 117 remaining so mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> You essentially have to have a, again, you have to have a nearly a 60% win percentage for the course yeah. of the year, for the next 120-ish games.
0: Yeah. Oof. Maybe not. Um, We'll see. But at least encourage and fun baseball tonight uh in St. Louis. Billy, really have a great game uh in Toronto. We'll do this again uh, in a couple of days. Of course, we would love for you guys to listen to Loud Outs, the show, which is 3 to 6 Eastern time, Monday through Friday on MLB Network Radio, Sirius XM Channel 89. It's also Available on Saturdays with uh, Chris Jimenez, Kevin Franson. They do that from 10 to 1 o'clock Eastern time at the same show name. And, of course, we'd love for you to tell your friends about the Loud Outs Podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great day. SiriusXM XM Podcasts.